Well, good morning, and God bless you. Kids, you are dismissed to head down to children's. Head down. You can tell I did that for many years. Head back to children's chapel. Also, remember that this evening at uh, worship night, we always have a time of refreshment. So uh, run to your local grocery store, pick up some refreshments to enjoy this evening. I'm having a little bit of a ring. All right. Love Encounter. What a wonderful turnout we had. If you... Amen. Friday night, we had a great time at Love Encounter. Still getting some ring back. All right. Okay. Still giving me some feedback here. All right. Let's take our Bibles and say our Bible decree this morning. If you would, if you have your Bible, let's hold it together and say it together. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. I love that we can take God's word, meditate on it, hide on it, put it in our hearts, live a life with the foundation of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, turn, if you would, please, to Psalms chapter 27. Psalm 27, verse 13. That's Psalm 27, verse 13. Oh, just wait. Come this summer, we'll probably have all kinds of harmony of babies in here, right? (laughs) Praise the Lord. Here's what it says in Psalm 27, verse 13. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's, what does it say? Goodness. While I am here in the land of the living. Also, if you'll turn with me please to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. They are plans for good. His plans for your life are good. Now, if you'll turn with me to Romans 8.28 in the New Testament. Romans 8.28. And it reads, And we know all things work together for... To those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Life is hard. God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You know, we get excited about silly little things, don't we? 
a group of multi-million dollar athletes who don't even know us and could care less about our loyal adoration, win a game, make a touchdown, hit a home run, shoot a three-pointer to win the great big championship game, and the crowd roars with excitement. Joe Schmo invites us to a party where people stand around screaming because the music is ear-piercing. And what? We're thrilled. We've got dual exhaust, four-barrel carb, and neon under the undercage of our pinto, and we're delirious. (laughs) Many of us students that are in here, we can't wait for summer. Why no school? Now some of you are going... Well, because we're at home, but there is a difference. People are still studying and planning at home. We can't wait for retirement and no work, so what? We'll have time to do what? Be bored? Do nothing? We get a new Apple computer, a new laptop, and every other little gizmo you could want, which, by the way, will be ancient in probably six months to two years. And we're going nuts. We're going crazy. We're ecstatic because we finally got through on the 1-800-WHO-WANTS-TO-BE-A-MILLIONAIRE telephone line. Yes. Many of us in this room, we get silly. We get crazy over the little things. But in contrast, we have some real reasons to celebrate and to be excited. God loves us. Jesus Christ is alive and Jesus Christ is here. By God's grace, we are saved. Heaven is going to be great and it will never, ever end. God is good. And many in this room have survived the coronavirus, which has taken a toll on many lives. Life is hard. But God is good. I know that the past several months, this pandemic has brought all of our family and friends a whirlwind of emotions. We've all had peaks, and many of us have faced valleys. Our prayers won't stop. They will continue as we pray for continual healing and deliverance during these most trying times. But I am confident, and I know for sure, that God is good. There's a verse in Romans that is such a great promise that we read this morning. And a verse that is very appropriate as we look into chapter 8 of Romans. So permit me this morning to give just a background information about Romans as we lead up to it. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians living in Rome around 55 A.D. Now, being able to look back in time, we realize that the followers of Christ have already faced very difficult times. And we understand that it would not get easier. The main concept of Romans is about the importance of righteousness. Even in the face of opposition, even in the face of oppression, Christians are to be righteous. Did you say, Pastor? What is righteousness? What does righteousness mean? Righteousness means to do right. 
to behave right, to think right, and to act right. And more importantly, to live a life that's right. Who's righteous? Our God is righteous. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There is nothing about God that is not righteous. Yet on the other hand, Paul clearly states that man is not Righteous. Now, I want you to follow me. In Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23, it says, For it is written, There is none that are righteous, no, not one. Then in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short. They've fallen short from the glory of God. Since we cannot become righteous on our own account, we must receive our righteousness through God. Romans 4.5 and 7.8 says this, However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. The byproduct, of course, will be overflowing celebration. When we live a righteous life, we live in peace and we experience joy. Where we were once dead to sin, now we are what? Alive in Jesus Christ. But how does that look, Pastor? How? Romans chapter 6, I'm giving a lot of scripture this morning. Verses 4 through 5, it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Paul then speaks of the battle between the two natures, sin or death, righteousness, or life. And transparently he says, I still struggle. Life is hard. Paul said, God is good. And then comes chapter 8, one of the most powerful and encouraging and affirming and loving chapters in the Bible. In the midst of persecution and possible defeat, there is victory. In fact, the chapter begins and ends with a victory cry. You can even follow it in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And then it also repeats itself in verse 39. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Now in the midst of this chapter, we come to verse 28, which again reads, and you can follow, and we know that in all these things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. 
as in many other biblical verses, we find a bilateral covenant. God states a promise with a condition to be followed. God states a promise with a condition to be followed. If we carry out the condition, then God's promise is guaranteed. We're listening from a man who actually said in this life there will be troubles and in this world there will be persecution. But as Jesus said, be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Here's a cool guy, a cool dude, but a mean, nasty individual. But, Pastor, how can he be cool, good, but mean and nasty? His name was Paul. He was persecuting the church. What I love about Paul and how he persecutes the church is had the church not been persecuted, people wouldn't have fled to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world. Christians experience that life is hard. But Paul preached, God is good. He's strolling down the road. And as he's strolling and is singing, probably jailhouse rock. I'm not sure, but I'm sure he was out to persecute Christians and throw them in jail. But I love what it has to say in the Scriptures and Acts. When he met an individual. This individual blinded his eyes. Now, it's interesting to me that here is a man who is cool, yet mean. Who was favored, yet mean. Why would Jesus choose him? Because you see, many of us in this room are much like Paul. We act one way. We talk a certain way, but we live a different way. In the transformation from Paul to Saul, what I love is there was a love encounter that took place. For the Holy Spirit, for Jesus Christ, and He referred to Him as Lord. And He identified with Him on an individual basis. So here's what happened. Paul, which is now transformed into Saul, he says, Saul, get up. He knew who he was. He knew the persecution that he put Christians under, but he knew the potential of who he could become in his walk, in his newness with Jesus Christ. But more importantly, in his righteousness in Jesus Christ. See, we can't get better, church. We can't become free and live a victorious life and claim that God is good when we continue to say that life is hard. Paul stood up, now Saul, 
And then Jesus starts to speak to Ananias and something started to take place. From point A to point B, I believe that there was some conversations that were going on. I need help. I can't see. I need to trust you. What we don't know in the narrative is that I believe that Saul now started to have a loving relationship with his Savior. And it proves it in the Scriptures. So we see that God starts to interact with Jesus. And then we start to see that now Saul and Paul are... Same guy, just want to let you guys know. They're now having a relationship. And Paul starts to do the work of Jesus Christ. And they're in a jail cell. And in this jail cell, they're now on the other end of the receiving line. Now, they're being persecuted for living a righteous life. Now, I think the Holy Spirit just revealed something to me. I might have gotten Saul and Paul mixed up in my little narrative there, but that's okay. You guys can follow me. Sometimes it's difficult to be me, but I'm, I'm coming back on track here. So now they're in prison. And as they're in prison, they start singing, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good, you're so good to me. What they were saying was, we don't care where we're at. We don't care what comes our way. Life is hard. God, you're good. We don't care if we're in chains. We're already free. We don't care all the persecution. We don't care what that jailer has to say out there because we have a relationship with you. It doesn't matter what the world has to say. I have a loving relationship with my Savior. I understand life is hard. Oh, God, you're so good. And before long, they were free. And guess who came to know Jesus because they were singing, God. You're so good. The jailer. He got saved. His life was transformed. God started to do a work in him. We always think, oh, woe is me. Look what I'm going through. Man, life is so difficult. Life is rough. I can't handle one more bit of pressure. Can't my family see me? Look at my shoulders, my arms. And I'm weary. I'm tired. God, you're so good. (laughs) Praise him. I think that's what we do. I think that's what the world's seeing. I really believe that's what the world is seeing. When was the last time, church, you had an encounter with Jesus? 
When was the last time that you had an encounter with Jesus? When was the last time that you got on your knees and you said, God, I'm struggling right now, but I know you're good. I used to take the kids to what was called Youth Evangelism for Christ. And we're going to go over some promises here this morning. But point number one, and I'll, I'll go back to that, that story. Those who love him. And I'll say the good, good promise for last. But number one, those who love him. And even though I would take these kids, and you guys are going to help me this morning, all right? I just need some group participation. You'll follow along as you, you notice. So we take the kids to Youth Evangelism for Christ. It would be an arena of, you know, two, three, four, five thousand young people. And it was a big rally. And before the sessions began, as the youth were seated, almost without fail, there was one enthusiastic group that would start singing and chanting, and that enthusiastic group was your conservative, quiet pastor. Okay, maybe that wasn't how it happened. So I would get our youth group to do this. We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? Then there was always this overly competitive group that would scream, We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus more than you. I'm like, come on now. Really? Right? We're bigger and we're mightier and we're stronger. We're going to shout it louder. (laughs) Sorry. Thank you. Welcome to New Hope Talmadge, where people are fun, excited, and they love Jesus. I knew you would get into it this morning. We all know that we're commanded to love God, but do others. And in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 38, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. I added that in there. This is the first and greatest commandment. But does the command mean that we are doing it? Does the command mean that we are doing it? Does screaming that we love Jesus prove our love for God? How do we know we really, really love Him? The Bible states some simple tests. Jesus said in John 14... If you love me, you will obey what I command. Underneath this, those who love him, one, obedience. It's an act of love. His command is obedience. It's agape. You can't expect God or anyone else to believe with the sincerity of your love if you constantly disobey his commands. The scripture says in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We want to hold on to this back here because it gives us power. But in my devotions, while I was gone, I read through the book of John. And it says that only power comes through the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus Christ came, he died for our sins. He was laid in a borrowed tomb rose the third day to give us life. Now, he commands his disciples to continue on with power by the Holy Spirit. We've limited our love 
for our Savior because we're afraid of what others might think, say, or do. It's because we're conformed to the world. Now listen, church, we're in a pandemic. And we know this has been chaos, total chaos. You know, so you get to Florida, and in Florida, you know, the governor says you don't have to wear a mask. But then, standing guard at the doors you walk into at some of the national chains, big stores, if you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Mask above your nose. Put your mask on. Or go that direction back out of my store. I looked at this 18-year-old. I said, has this been a lot of pressure for you? He said, it's crazy. But my boss says, and his boss says, and their boss says, and all the other bosses that are around say, put the mask above your face. He said, put your mask on your face, not above your face. (laughs) I put it under my face. Okay. I told you, sometimes it's difficult. There's a lot to say, and I'm going to get it in today. So as I was there, I felt some compassion and love for him. So I put the mask up higher just to honor that young man because his response was loving. But here's what we do. When the guard's at the door with his spear and his armor, we love to walk by and go, bam, hit him in the shoulder go, yeah, you know who I am, you don't mess with me, man. That's kind of our attitude. But then you get in there and you start saying, they're like, oh, you're a Christian too, yeah, I go to New Hope. And you're thinking, yeah, you sure didn't act like you were loving one another. God's really good to you, huh? I thought you said you loved him. Sure didn't act like it. That's your God. I don't want to be a part of that. I mean, really, that's, That's sometimes how we are. Let's be kind and loving and generous. Hey, it's hard for me. It was at Summit Mall when that young lady said, Put it over your nose! I'm like, man, alive. Don't hurt me. You're only this tall. (laughs) Scared me for a minute and a half. Well, maybe about 12 seconds. And I, I wanted to say, I'm leaving your store. I didn't. Just because... There was something we liked there. You know, I figured I probably should humble myself and, you know, do the right thing. Put it over my nose. We notice here that, one, we, we must be obedient to love people. Even in a time when things seem to be hard. I understand. I, I, I understand. And church, I loved watching service over the last couple of weeks and seeing you were here and you're faithful Because it's all about God. Church is about God, and it's about us coming here and worshiping Him. And I know that we have love your neighbor, sanitize, bathe, do what you got to do with the hand sanitation, put on stickers. If you want to wear a mask, I respect you. I honor you. Protect yourself, others, whatever it might be. But I love that you're faithful and that you're here. That means a lot to me as your pastor, but I know it means more to the Lord that you're here. Underneath those who love him. I said number one was obedience to undivided. Exodus said that God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share you with the world. For God knows that you can only serve one master. Trying to love God in the world won't work for us, will it? First John chapter 4, verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Woo! Pastor, you're preaching it this morning. Number three, consistency, and I'm going to move forward here. So we have, be obedient. Practice the commandment. Don't be divisive, but be consistent. Love the Creator and His creation. Not just brother, politically correct. It means everyone, when it says there, that we're to love our brother. We have to be careful today, don't we? It means everyone, agape, right behavior. Do what's Right. Be consistent in our life. It's hard. It's very hard to be consistent. I understand I live it. But these are three tests to know that if do we really love God? Do we trust Him? If you are doing these things, then you have fulfilled the first part of the covenant. Now here's the next part. Number one, those who love Him. Number two, those who have been called according to His purpose. So we see it right here in Romans 8.28. What does this mean? It's not a call to salvation. It's to those who have already responded to God by accepting Jesus Christ, his son. It's a call like 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, who has saved us and called us to what? To a holy life. To a righteous life. It's living a righteous life that is, exo- ex- <laughs> that is a shining example for all to see. It's doing his will day in, and day out. What does he say? Be holy for I am holy. Now when these two conditions are met, there's a great promise that follows. Here's the promise because it comes from God. Number three, God works for the good. God works for the good. It brings encouragement and assurance even in the midst of difficulty. First, what does this verse not say? It doesn't say that if we love God and are called according to His purpose that everything that happens in our lives will be good. Life is hard. But God is good. Remember Joseph? Hated. We're talking Joseph of the Old Testament. He was sold as a slave, accused, imprisoned, yet was faithful to God and became the second most powerful man in the whole world. When his brothers thought he would kill them in revenge, here's what Joseph said, Joseph said in Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Take Paul, for example. Here's the writer of this book. He, was persecute, he persecuted the church, and because of that persecution... Again, and you heard me say when we started, the church was scattered everywhere. Doing so, again, they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. What seemed to be a calamity served only for the good by planting churches in hundreds of new places. Now, we don't know all of Joseph's thoughts while he was being carted away to slavery during his unjust imprisonment. But it was good. We don't know all Paul's thoughts while being stone beaten or even shipwrecked or put in jail. But we do know that as they reflected back, they both realized that in everything, even the bad, God can cause good to come from it. Life is hard. God is good. 
Think of this. If God caused everything that happened to Christians to be good, what would be the end result? Now, I don't want to lose you. We've got a few minutes left. Follow me here. If God caused everything that happened to Christians to be good, what would be the end result? Conversions would be based on selfishness. I'll be a Christian because of what I get. That's why I want to be a Christian. It's all about me anyhow. How about this? Not to grow strong because I've never faced any difficulties. Then we lack in trusting God in our life. No desire or longing for heaven. Why would we desire long for heaven when you have a paradise here? Right? When God's providing everything and, and life is great and you get outside and you get inside your Rolls Royce and your Bentley out of your $795 million mansion, why would you need our Savior? Bad things happen to good people. I stopped and I started thinking about this and there was young David. Young David, who was just a shepherd boy, went out there to slay a giant. But remember, here was a young man, just a teenage boy, who found favor because he was surrendered. And he knew he would be ridiculed by his brothers. What in the world are you doing here, little dude? He says, I'm here because I had an encounter out there in that field. I'm going to take down the giant in all of our lives. Oh, but hold on in just a minute. Not even from there. He then becomes the greatest armor bearer to a phenomenal king. But what happened? The king got jealous and went after young David to kill him, to slay him. Life is hard. But God is good. Oh, but God spared him. We know that this king, oh, King Saul slew his thousands. But it says King David slew his tens of thousands because he had the anointing. He had the favor of God on his life. He knew the importance of doing what was right even when that king was sleeping in that cave. As he snuck in there just to let him know that I love you and I still care for you. He exhibited that same commandment that God tells us to. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Holy moly. That's hard for us. So he crawls in there. And he gets down and he cuts off just a piece of his garment. Oh, but this was the same young man that we saw that there was favor, but went outside on his balcony after he was king and said, Ooh, look at her. She'd be looking good. Yikes. So what happened? He started to lust after a young woman. Now you see, I said to live the right kind of life means that you have to surrender to that kind of life. Even though David committed sin with Bathsheba, here's the rest of the story. God says, you're a man after my own heart. I love you. I care for you. Wow. David, I know life is hard. But I want to remind you that your God's still good and he's merciful. He'll forgive you. Even though you want to see your husband dead and you want to kill people and do things that's wrong. I, I sent my son Jesus. He, you know, see... 
He went to the cross for each and every one of us to give us life and to give it abundantly. Because you see, he already knows just how difficult and hard life is. But we also know that God is good. And then you think about this young, young teenage girl. And her name's Mary. And Mary gets anointed. Who does she get anointed by? God. The angel of the Lord comes to her and she gets the privilege of what? Of carrying the Son of God. The Messiah. The one that will be the Savior who will come and die for all humanity. And as we embark upon Easter, we're reminded of just what this young woman did. So now... We start to notice in this story again. Oh, but young Mary, what is young Joseph going to do? Everybody thinks now that she's an adulterer. What has she done? And the city was going out to stone her. But what I learned and concluded with the story was, she said on the back of the donkey, Life is hard, but God is good. You see where we miss it is we know that that young Messiah that was born. For unto us was born this day in the city of David. He was our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. And He struggled on this earth. He was persecuted here on this earth. He did His Father's will. He spoke of His Father. But He said, Oh Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. I live and I give my life for You and for all of humanity. Jesus said, Life is hard. Oh, but Father, You are good. No, not everything that happens is good. But church, listen. And remember that God doesn't orchestrate suffering. In fact, Jesus died to remove the sting of sin and death. Now, there are reasons why bad things happen to people. Sometimes they happen because we bring them on ourselves by sin. Many times it's just because we live in a sinful, fallen world and not being exempt from bad things. They come. It rains on the just and the unjust. Is it a little warm in here? Can we turn on the air, please? Thank you. I thought, am I the only one that's up here sweating and dying? Because you guys are all falling asleep on me. And I said, something's going on in here. And I just realized it's warm. I'll make sure you don't have to get out your winter coats, okay? Because we're celebrating spring. It was a beautiful day in sunny Florida. I mean beautiful. I loved it. We had a great time, my wife and I. Nice weather, saw great friends, Fred and Dolly have now bought their winter home down in Florida. It's great to have dinner with them. And and listen, church, even in the midst of all that, sometimes life is hard. I was able to see my cousin, he flew down, we're like brothers, we had a great time together. Ed and I fellowshiped, and I'm like, we got to get out of here. 
it's a beautiful night. It's going to be a beautiful ride home. We're going to leave a little early. We got in that car. It's packed. Everything's ready to go. We pull out of there about 5 o'clock. Then this excitement overcomes. We have love encounter coming. And, and I'm just getting all, you know, excited about preaching on Sunday morning. Not realizing what I'm going to preach and, you know, what it's going to be about. And my wife says, I need to pick out some songs. So we were playing some songs. And I'm like, ooh, I like that one. Ooh, yeah, that's an awesome one. Ooh, God is good. That's exactly what I'm going to preach on. God is good. Woo, we were just praising the Lord. Thanks for it. I mean, it was wonderful. We had that car just, it was soaring up 95. We crossed over that Georgia line, and it was just a beautiful night as I was watching. Deer were grazing, wild boar I saw for the first time, because we never normally leave at night. But they were just enjoying the beautiful weather as I was just soaring and enjoying the beauty of my lovely wife next to me as we just soared north towards home. But then everything happened. It came to a screeching halt when as I flew over that hill and I noticed some lights to my right doing 88 miles an hour in a 70 mile per hour zone. I knew right then... Life is hard, but God is good. As I slowly tried to slow down from 88 miles an hour, it didn't work like that for me. I looked at my wife and said, give me my wallet. As he pulled out, so beautifully dressed in his Christmas lights, as they get turned on and we slowly together waltz to the side of the road. As he already ran my plates and he walks up to the car, and this cracked me up. Okay, he's a young guy, probably 30. It's been 32 years since I've been pulled over. Yep, God is good. Hello, Mr. Todd. Do we know each other? Because if we do, I have some things to tell you. Do you have your driver's license and registration? Don't you worry. We'll get you back on the road, Mr. Todd, nice and quick. And he just waltzes us back to his car. Now, you thought I had a story there, didn't you? Because normally I do. Because I best, I'm best friends with police officers, sometimes. But this day I decided I was going to play it calm, cool, and collected. Because I knew that there was a story that God was trying to teach me. Sucker, you deserve that ticket. You were speeding. I was speeding, but I said, you know, Lord, as we were talking about this, I said, you know, if the car in front of me would have not gone so, I mean, they were slow. I said, and I, it was a beautiful night with my beautiful wife having a beautiful date to a beautiful scenery. To, he didn't care. I didn't say anything. And he comes back up and he's like, so, Mr. Todd, don't you worry. Today you have favor. We took it from 88 miles an hour where you have to show up for court to 84 miles an hour. I'm looking at him like, really? And then he keeps saying, Mr. Todd, so my wife 
as she has my sister and brother-in-law on the phone because she thinks this is hysterical. The cop starts waving at him. I'm like, if you're going to be that friendly, let's be friends. Rip that thing up right now. So I said, yeah, life is hard. God is good all the time, all the time. God's good. I was thinking all this stuff. And so I looked at him. Ready? Here's the conclusion. You're going to love this. Oh, so that's your brother-in-law and sister. As my brother-in-law says, hey, preacher. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He goes, you're a pastor? Yeah, I'm a pastor. He goes, well, God bless you, Pastor Todd. I'll pray for you on Sunday. That is exactly what he did. I'll pray for you on Sunday when I'm at church, didn't he? I looked at my wife. We laughed. I said, down the road I go. Then I had to put on the cruise control. But as I woke up in the middle of the night at that hotel, it was 2.45 a.m. And I said, Lord, I can't believe I got a ticket. He goes, I can believe you got a ticket. You were speeding. You do the crime, you do the time. And I'm laying there. And you know what he said to me? Todd, I understand life is hard. But I'm good to you. He said, what you didn't notice, this is how God revealed himself to me. That you kept saying to Becky, look at the deer on the side of the road. Four, eight, fifteen. We passed coming home. If I could give you an accurate number, it would be close to between 50 and 75 deer that were on this side, right on the side of the road. And it was right then that the peace of God overcame me. And he said, you didn't see that deer that I stopped from hitting your car. Wow. Think about it. That's the sovereignty of God. I... And I, I, said, I said, fine, that's great. Got up the next morning. I said, uh, is that ticket on the website? Pay it, honey. Let's pay it and be happy about it. And I was. I've had peace about it. I know that life is hard, but God is good. And sometimes, church, and I'll say this as we close, we put ourselves in the position. We put ourselves in the position. I'm the one that sinned. I didn't obey the laws of the land. I can't blame that on God. I have to know that it's my responsibility. Pay the ticket and know that God is always watching out for us. He's always taking care of us. His good is for each and every one of us. And many times we don't even realize it. His grace is there. And I love what he says. There's so much I wanted to share with you this morning. Paul endured hardships for the furtherance of the gospel. And his source to most disagreeable trials were the means by which the power of Christ rested on him. And here's what it says in that scripture. You can look here with me. Paul said, we know. We know. It means something when someone goes on a journey with you. And in that scripture it says, we together... I believe that the Lord knows exactly what's going to happen. And I know that God positioned that young man 
that police officer there doing his job at that time. It doesn't matter. And actually, I was going to get off right there at the welcome center because I had to use I had to use the restroom. And I'm like, well, we'll just continue to keep going. And that's when I accelerated because I was on the far right hand lane. And that's when I noticed that he was sitting there. But church, I'm going to ask you. Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you believe that God is good? I want you to look to the person next to you and say, God is good. God is good. The part of this verse contains the concept of a loving father who wants the very, very best for his children. And in his love, God manipulates the bad things that happen and causes good from them. And we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. We understand that we've experienced it. Life has been hard. Death is real. Financial hardship is real. But we have to surrender to and let God have His place in our life. The goodness of God in your life is a choice to do right and to live a righteous, holy life. I'm going to share a story with you, and then we'll all get a chance to go home today. <laughs> My wife and I were heading down to Pont Saint-Lit, which was south of Daytona. And she said to me, Todd, do you mind if we just stop by a couple that we met a couple years ago? We were standing in front of a Christmas tree, and uh, we got pictures, and this couple walked up and says, Oh, would you like us to take your picture? And we're like, that would be fine. So as we were were standing there and uh, they took our picture, we took their picture. We had a picture fest. It was fun. They were strangers. We started talking and come to find out they're Christian people. And uh, they are part of our family, the family of God. And so we've kept in touch with them. And it's so bizarre we would be down there and Becky says, I think there's Tinsy in front of us in her car. You know, over the last couple of years when we've been in Florida, and uh, it was just kind of neat. So on our way down, we decided to stop by their house. And we, we went unannounced, uninvited. But they opened up the door. They're like, ah! You know, we're all excited. Made me feel like I was uh, somebody important. Until he said, what is your name? Just kidding. He did. Um, and then, so I... We, we went in, as we went in our house, we hugged, and it was just a great time of fellowship. But God orchestrated that divine appointment. So here's what happened. As we're in there, Becky said, can I just ask you something? I've been watching your website, and I've been noticing on, on Facebook that you have suffered some loss. And she said, yes. Here's the rest of the story. We lost our grandson. Through the pandemic, through COVID, it's been very, very difficult for this young man. We didn't know that he was suffering in school because online schooling has been difficult. And it was a struggle for him. So she said, one night while his mom was gone, he decided to go out back in that yard and he took what was hanging back there and he took his life 
You see, I thought it was my, my fault. I kept asking God, God, why is this happening? He's, he was such a good boy and he never told us. He never told us that he was struggling with school and that, you know, this was the hardships of his life. So they've been struggling for several months with this. So we got to talking and cried a little bit. And I looked at him, and I don't always do this. But I said to him, I know life is hard. But God is good. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you. In the midst of your grief and suffering, may He give you peace. May you feel His presence and His love. And know that He's there. And may He anoint your life and shine upon you. She's looking at me. And her face changes. And His face changed. And she quietly and slowly walked to their mantle and she pulled down what was an ornament that was sent to her from a friend that had Numbers chapter 6 in there. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you. She said, um, uh, she was speechless, wasn't she? And she said, I finally have peace. We grieve much by how we love much. How much do you love the Lord? Have you grieved over the death and the resurrection? Life is hard. Church, life is hard. But God is good. We don't know the rest of the story. But we know that the love of Christ was evident in that home and in their lives. She wrote Becky later that night to both of us a little letter. You see, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we were both hungry, but we stopped because we loved this couple and we valued them. Hey, a pastor can't stop what he's doing even if he's on vacation. We knew that there was a need and God met that need at the right time. I don't know what you're going through today, church. I don't know what you've been through even this week. But I know that life is hard. And I know circumstances are difficult. But I also know that our sovereign Lord says, but I am good. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. He loves you. And for the teenagers that are in this room, for you children that are in this room, God loves you. God cares for you. He considers you valuable. And if you don't know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, come to Him today. Maybe what God's putting you through is going to help pull you through.
life is hard. God is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, for your spirit, for your power. God, I just pray that this morning for those that are in this room. Lord, that you'll just give them peace. Lord, if you answered every prayer in our timing, we would stop praying to you. We would stop crying out to you. We would stop leaning on you. But even Paul said, and we, we understand, we've walked in your shoes, we understand the pain. He told young Timothy, fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Stay on course. Life is going to be hard, but our Savior is good. So God, we embrace your goodness this morning. And know that right now, if what we're going through might be difficult, that God, you're right there with us because you're a loving, merciful, sovereign, caring Savior. Help us, Lord. Continue to help us to grow in your grace and in your knowledge. Deliver us from this pain in your time. May your will be done. And for this awesome couple that we call friends in Florida, oh God, bestow your peace upon them. And in the days ahead, in their lives, I pray that that void that they feel in their heart and in their life, that you'll fill with your love and your mercy. Father, stir within our hearts today to live a righteous life. Put away what has crippled us in our fellowship with you. Remove the scales from our eyes. Free us. Deliver us in Jesus' holy name. Amen.